Greetings from the Pumpkin Patch and welcome Halloweeniacs to the Jack-O-Lantern Press Podcast where we discuss monsters and Halloween. My name is Michael Piccarella. And my name is Tom Piccarella. It's Monster Monday when Tom and I briefly profile a monster of the week. This Monday's monster in honor of the recent NASA and SpaceX launch, the Space Monster. I bring you a warning. Every one of you listening to my voice, tell the world, tell this to everybody wherever they are. Watch the skies everywhere. Keep looking. Keep watching the skies. That was a clip from the Turner Classic Movies 2005 documentary, Watch the Skies, Science Fiction, the 1950s, and Us. And that's what Tom and I will be doing this evening, pointing our attention to the skies, the stars, and the monsters beyond. But first, Tom, what did you think about uh, this recent launch? Yeah, well, first off, I mean, we have a huge passion for it in our family just because our dad, you know, was was involved with the space shuttle main engine at at NASA, Boeing. He worked for a bunch of different um, companies. Well, I guess they merged and changed, but... It was it was quite the sight to see a commercially driven company like SpaceX, uh, who obviously got a lot of funding from NASA and I'm sure probably a ton of other people. Um, but to see SpaceX be able to put that rocket up in the air successfully with two astronauts, uh, two very well known astronauts. I think both of them have been up into space. I I'm I'm. Yeah, they were both on shuttle missions. Yeah, Doug had already been to the space station before. I wasn't sure on Bob if if he um, had been up there before. But I I definitely can say I sat there watched three hours before they did the launch. I was watching it on Wednesday as well when they canceled, you know, due to weather. And it was just really neat uh, to to see that. Uh, Definitely congratulations for both SpaceX, of course, and and NASA, you know, making that happen. And they're up there right now and doing some work on the space station and then they'll uh, be coming back down. But no, I, I, I just thought it was awesome. Um, yeah. And, and you watch, you watched on uh, NASA TV. I think they call it NASA TV, the NASA YouTube channel, just so you could watch the whole thing and all the, the details, no commercials yeah, so and all. I was watching it on the the NASA YouTube, but plus you you know if you went on to like Facebook or even some of the other stuff, you got to see like the live stuff that people were saying. And I mean, it it was really neat. I think the last I checked, there were there were like almost twenty million people that were viewing that launch. Yeah, uh, they and there said there might have been more. It was a lot. They said it was the number one thing watched, and at that time there were all the protests going on. I know that was like what was on the news. But they did say that it was the number one trending thing on Twitter. Now NASA said that, but I, you know, it it's cool that that many people were tuning in. I'm pretty excited about it myself. The fact that we're we're back to space travel because the last space shuttle was in 2011. Yeah, and you know, like you were saying, Dad worked on 
all those missions. He worked at Rocketdyne between June 1962 and January 2005. So he worked on a lot of missions. He worked on the Mercury one-man capsule missions where they tested humans in space. He worked on the Gemini missions, which were two-man capsules. And those missions were to develop travel techniques to support the upcoming Apollo missions. And then, of course, he did work on the Apollo missions um, and then he transitioned into the shuttle missions. There were a lot of other ones that he did, but yeah, the the, the Gemini were two-man capsules, Apollos were three-man capsules, and then the space shuttles were usually five to seven people, but there was a mission where there were eight people, and the shuttles were responsible for launching satellites, interplanetary probes, the Hubble, telesco uh, Hubble Space Telescope, of course, and then they conducted science experiments in orbit and participated in the construction and servicing of the International Space Station. So pretty, pretty cool stuff. You know, I'm glad we're going back. And one of the things that that I'm excited about was when they were doing the whole celebration when Bob and Doug got into the space station, they did say that this was a pretty big thing and basically a step in the process toward going to the moon again putting people on the moon to work and live so that they can then from there go to Mars. And to me, that's really exciting stuff. Well, um, and, and it, the, the cool thing about it too, and just in regards to this episode, is that the one thing that they're not thinking about is how they're going to deal with space monsters. Yeah, because what, what are they? What gonna are do? they going to do? I mean, yeah. if, they, if they're out there cruising, you know, uh, uh, to the moon and all of a sudden a space monster comes out, how are they going to deal with that? Which is why this episode is going to exist to help them out so that we could tell them, you know, their abilities, a little history, uh, what they're capable of doing, um, you know, different types of species and, and whatnot. So that that's why this episode is going to exist for everybody to learn about this. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, Tom. So, th there was there was an article that that I read. It was from Air and Space Magazine. This is back in 2007 by Michael Griffin. So this was before the last space shuttle, which was in 2011. But in this 2007 article, he was saying that if NASA were to disappear tomorrow, if we never put another human being in space, people in this country would be profoundly distraught. He said, and uh, American, he said, Americans would feel that we lost something that matters, that our best days were behind us, and they would feel them, themselves somehow diminished. I, and I kind of feel that, that that has happened after the space shuttle. Yeah. Um, this article goes on to say that most people would be unable to say why, though, why that there is that there's this issue. So I was going to ask you, Tom, like, why do you think space travel is important? You know, if, if people were saying, okay, we have all this funding, you know, we could give it to the homelessness problem, we could give it to all these different things, why would you give it to the space program? Well, first off, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sure that there are a ton of stuff out there that they can use the money for, but I mean, you got to think about it. Look at, look at what we've been able to discover just outside to learn, you know, what we have learned, you know, just with, you know, going up there, you know, putting satellites up there, giving the ability for, you know, GPS positioning. Uh, I'm, you know, the other 
uh, various technologies that we've put up into space. But I think what, what people probably refer to the most of why they would be upset, why do people like Star Trek? Why do people like Star Wars or any type of, you know, science fiction sort of thing? It's the unknown. Um, and, That's funny and I, that you say that because... That was that was my so he he says it really good in this article. It says there are many good reasons to continue to explore space, which most Americans have undoubtedly heard. In announcing his commitment to send the country back to the moon and later on the onto Mars, President Bush, don't forget this is an old article, yeah, quite correctly said we do it for the purposes of scientific discovery, economic benefit, and national security, which were things that you just brought up. He goes on to say, but these are not reasons that would make Americans miss our space program. They are merely the reasons we are most comfortable discussing. When we contemplate committing large sums of money to a project, we tend to dismiss reasons that are emotional or value-driven or can't be captured on a spreadsheet. But in space exploration, those are the reasons, what I think of as real reasons, that are the most important. I think we all know why we strive to accomplish such things. First, most of us want to be, both as individuals and as societies, the first or the best in some activity. If you think about the space race, we wanted to be the first ones to get to the moon. We want to stand out. This behavior is rooted in our genes. A second reason, and this is my reason and sounds like it's yours too, is curiosity. Who among us has not had the urge to know what's over the next hill? What child has not been drawn to explore beyond the familiar streets of the neighborhood? And to me, you know, I want to know what's out there. Is there other life? Don't you think yeah. like knowing what life is out there may even explain our own life? Or what if there are monsters out there, <laughs> you know? I think yeah, for I mean, us, there's, there's as... a whole slew of stuff that that you could go into. I mean, what happens if one day we really do get to the point where we get spaceships and we could, you know, travel at light speed and go to different galaxies and stuff like that? And even as even Michio Kaku, you know, uh, uh, a, a theoretical physicist, I, I read a lot of his books like he has a whole book on all sorts of different things. But even a lot of the stuff that that he's talking about, like parallel universes and and and, uh, you know, it, it would be really neat to figure out, you know, just what what is there beyond the stuff we can even see? That's the thing, too. It's like it, if we don't know what's out there, stuff that we don't know is what we fear more. It's like what's in the dark, which is what a lot of these yeah. movies in that documentary that we played the beginning of at the beginning of the show that on 50 sci-fi movies, a lot of what those movies were doing were putting faces on things that we feared what was in space we were getting ready to kind of explore space and a lot of these movies were happening while we were exploring space like what's out there and we wanted to put faces on them so we you know we put these monsters out there and it's like okay this is what an alien looks like this monsters on the moon or mars or wherever um, and it helps you deal with fears you know it's it's a natural human thing yeah and and I think that that's the other thing too is that there's so there's so much emphasis too on like is you know aliens out there and stuff like that but what if what if I was reading an article when when I was doing the research what if it has nothing to do with our 
sort of physique and the way that that we look, you know, bipeds and whatnot, where we have two legs, I mean, two arms and whatnot. What if it does look like these big, you know, huge insectoid looking monsters that we've, we've, uh, you know, that's what a space monster basically is, is a, a weird looking with a tentacles and it's large. It's, you know, doesn't look anything like us. I mean, what if it is like that? How, how would we even communicate? Or, or would we just immediately, just because it might look look grotesque, uh, do we just immediately start firing on it? I mean, we would have no idea how to communicate with something like that. Uh, it's like so many movies, you know, like Mars Attacks and, you know, aliens. are they, they going to come in peace, like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and or E.T.? Or is it going to be, yeah, Mars Attacks where they attack? But even But even then, though, Every a lot of the times when we're making contact, it looks similar to what we look like. What happens if if it doesn't look anything like us? What if it looks like this atrocious, you know, thing that has these huge teeth and all that? And maybe it's totally friendly. I mean, it it would be interesting. Yeah. So I tried, I tried to it, finding the history of space monsters was kind of difficult. You know, where was I guess where you know where they come from? Who knows? They could be before humans were ever here. But I tried to find what what the first space monster was, or the first report anyway. So I found an article back in November called "The First Alien" by Dr. Caleb A. Scharf, the director of astrobiology at Columbia University, and he states in this article, which we'll link in the show notes, so you can see the whole thing. He states that one of the very first recorded writings of alien life dates back to, you ready for this? Yeah. 200 AD by Lucian of Samoseda in eastern Turkey. And he was a writer of satire and a practitioner of rhetoric of Assyrian descent. It is that that's what they think. But among his works is a novel called Vera Historia or true story that details a journey to the moon and the discover of a multitude of life there. That lunar life includes three-headed vultures, birds made of grass with wings of leaves, humans sweating milk, and fleas the size of elephants. So this article <laughs> says that clearly this is far from true, but I don't know. Maybe it is real. We don't really know. We've well, how do you know? There's part of them. There's an insane amount of radiation in space, so how do you how does anybody know that radiation yeah. can cause all kinds of weird stuff? I mean, uh, yeah, that look at uh, so yeah, it it, it's, it says it's here nuts. Lucian didn't hide that this was fantasy. Um, I think that he just didn't want to be made fun of. That's my opinion. But Probably. This ta- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but this tale is one of the earliest known works where detailed alien life is imagined. The beings of the moon are even at war with beings on the sun. Interestingly, the possible existence of solar life was still doing the rounds in the late 1700s and early 1800s thanks to astronomer William Herschel. Except Herschel wasn't writing fantasy. He really suspected that there could be living things on the sun. Um, so, And at that time, I guess they thought the sun was a solid surface. But that was the earliest known stories that I could find about 
you know, life out there. And, and then, you know, there's ancient aliens and there's all that stuff, you know, that that uh, people suspected were either gods or, you know, you can watch ancient aliens and there's all kinds of theories. But that, that's what I found for history. So that's that's what I have for history. How, where, what direction did you go in, Tom, for, for this? I mean, honestly, I... I kind of looked up a bunch of stuff, you know, that we normally do, like on fandoms and and stuff like that. And I wanted there was a there was an origin um, that they had on aliens.fandom.com. Uh, it is it is titled Space Monster, but it said it is theorized that the space monsters serve as the antibodies of the galaxy and perhaps the universe, exterminating parasitic life forms or sentient life. And then human scientists base this on the fact that humanity has not encountered any other life forms in the galaxy. Uh, so these things are like crawling around looking for life forms and then killing them off because they, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe that's the reason why we can't find any other life because maybe there's space monsters out there, even though we haven't seen any. Species, it goes into... Uh, they're referring to the, them as insectoids, as I was uh, saying earlier, come in a wide variety of, of forms and sizes. The smallest of them are the size of huge tanks and fighters. Uh, starships, uh, starship analogs are miles or city-sized. And the motherships of these space monsters could uh, be Did you say city-size? What's that? Did you say city-size? Yeah, city size. Oh. And that's just that's just for the 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 mid scale. The motherships they're saying are the size of moons. Oh wow. Yeah, or or the size of like a massive gas planet. Um they say space monsters reproduce by laying eggs in stars. It is definitely interesting whoever brought this up. While in the star, the eggs drain energy from the star, and once they hatch and become mature, they leave the star. Uh, in the process, prematurely aging uh, the star to such an extent that a yellow G-class star becomes a red giant within a few years after they leave the star. Some of their capabilities, uh, the giant exoids, or in insectoids, have the following capabilities and weapons. They have tracking enemy vessels or fleets that are, that are in subspace. Battling enemy vessels and fleets, plasma bio cannons, uh, spike-like projectiles which pierce the armor of terrain warships, drones used in swarms of 100s, capital ships with plasma energy beams that blast through planets and destroy enemy warships on the other side of the world, and using a black hole as a power source. I... The stuff that these that these guys, I mean, talk about creativity. It's just totally plausible. Like oh, yeah. to me, that sounds <laughs> totally real. I don't know how people don't think that it's out there, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then they they have tactics. Space monsters rely on overwhelming human fleets. Uh, in battle, the human the humans face wave after wave of space monsters. Each wave with billions of insectoids. A space monster fleet is so large that it occupies as much space as a gas giant planet. You know what? It, it and what this reminds me of too is one of my favorite books by Ernest Cline called Armada, because they it's basically you know this kid who's playing video games, or even a whole bunch of people are playing these video games, 
and really it's it's the government is is prepping them to then go to this to this real area up in space and then they are actually fighting off big large swarms of insectoids or space monsters as they're putting it in this article and that is the one thing that i really liked about armada was it like went from this video game sort of sort of environment and this kid working at this video game store to then he became one of the best you know uh players of this specific game and then they recruited him and then he was actually fighting against it and i won't tell you the end of the story in case people haven't uh, read it but it's a great book by i gotta read that thing yeah so you know in looking up other various things you know uh of different types of stuff. You and I had a conversation about the Matrix and the Sentinels, and I think they look neat. They're space-like creatures, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a discussion that that Mike and I were having, and maybe our listeners might want to, you know, send us an email or or something. Uh, um, but is a Sentinel from the Matrix uh, considered a space monster since we don't necessarily know if they were really in space. They might, it might've just been a computer program, but I don't know. I don't know. But I thought, you know, the Sentinels in, in, uh, the matrix are, are really neat. One other thing that I was looking up just about Sentinels is you can go on Amazon. We'll throw this in the show notes. I haven't sent you any of my stuff yet, Mike, but, uh, there is a, uh, a Sentinel action figure that looks really neat. Uh, that you could oh, kind of yeah, I think I did together. see that when you were yeah, sending I, like a bunch of tech, we were sending text messages back and forth. I think I saw that dude. Yep. And, and then there was uh, a YouTube video that goes through. It's not very long, but it's a YouTube video called the 20 of the biggest aliens and space monsters. It's just really quick, but it's neat. It goes into like these, this detail of, of all these, uh, of all these space monsters, and there are 20 of the biggest ones that I think have either have been created or somebody else has has created at some point in time. Are they just from movies, or is it from books, I, games? I think it's a combination between movies and, and books. Oh, okay. Um, but it's it's really neat link. Uh, like I said, we'll throw it in the show notes. Um, there was also a... Uh, a movie that I had found called Frankenstein meets space monsters. I've never seen it and I need to sit down and actually watch it, but it's on YouTube. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, (laughs) I can't imagine. It's like Frankenstein meets Santa Claus or something. Yeah. It's, it's not (laughs) September 22nd, 1965. Uh, Robert Gaffney is the director uh, and the writer was George Garrett. I'm sure it's a classic. I'm. It's yeah. I. I mean, it's probably it's pretty cheese. But I don't know. It had I to have check. been nominated for something. I'm sure. I'll just go back through my Academy Award book and see where it is. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure it was nominated for something. <laughs> sure, it was nominated for being kind of a weird flick. Uh, <laughs> on uh, on a Wikipedia article, I found a video game called Space Monster. Um, oh yeah, I saw that one. That was released in 1978. Uh, it I don't know. It looks cheesy. Obviously, it's not going to be anything really. To yeah, this I day don't remember. Age. I think um, when we had a is was it an Atari game? Um, I think it. You know, I think I'm not 100 sure what this was on, but it, I mean, it had to have been if you're you're talking back. 
Well, I don't even know what this was on. Um, yeah, Philips it's, Magnavox it, Odyssey for it. Yeah, it says it says that it was for the Philips Magnavox Odyssey, whatever the heck that oh. was. I don't even know I what that is. I think it said it was like Space Invaders, which we had on Atari. It says but similar I didn't look to Space into Invaders. It too, huh? It says it's similar to Space Invaders. So Space yeah. Monster, okay. known as Alien Invaders Plus in North America, is a fixed shooter video game for the Philips Magnavox Odyssey, a console released in 1978. Similar to Space Invaders, the object of the game is to destroy all invading aliens while also avoiding fire. So That game was cool. I liked Space Invaders. Although I think I liked Asteroids better. That was a really good game. Space Invaders was really neat. I I definitely liked uh, uh, Space Invaders. It's one of my favorite games. As a ma- matter of fact, I, I have the arcade one-up um, uh, arcade kind of cabinets, and uh, I have a Pac-Man right now, but the next one I'm going to get is going to be Space Invaders. So, By the way, speaking of... This is kind of off-topic, but speaking of Pac-Man, what's the competition like between you and uh, Matt from Nightmare 365? Are you up or is he up? So as far as the competition goes uh, between um, Matt from Nightmare 365 and myself, uh, I believe I'm like 130-something points ahead of him, <laughs> which I can't yeah, even believe. He's going to have to get to work. Yeah, he's going to have to start. <laughs> so I'm calling him out. Uh, but yeah, he's going to have to get to work and, and uh, get an, an extra, I think it was like 130-something points uh, that I beat him by. But I'm gonna beat my score anyways, uh, and and take him out. So, um, well, I'm already beating him at this point. Not to rub it in, Matt, but I, you know, I just wanted to let you know that I am beating you. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, cool. Did you have anything else? No, that, that's all I had for for the space monster. I think uh, this is a neat monster. Once again, congratulations to the to the SpaceX crew uh, for successfully getting up their end to nasa obviously i i definitely can't wait to to see the their return safe uh and it's it's definitely neat hopefully a lot of people watched it and uh and appreciate what they they have accomplished uh because it's huge the uh uh well the accomplishment that that is so big is that it's a commercially funded company um, which takes a lot of the risk off of NASA, takes a lot of the cost off of NASA because it's it's funded by uh, people that are invested in in SpaceX and obviously Elon Musk and whatnot. So it is it is really neat and a good accomplishment. But this space monster is a is a lot of fun as far as the monster goes. The research that we we did um, was a lot of fun to to just kind of see some of the things that they they do and it would be interesting to see if these were really out there so yeah with that that's all i had great all right well as far as movies as you can imagine there's a million movies with space monsters so what i did was i found this article on metro that's the u.s online newspaper where they did 10 best space monsters in movie history so I'm going to count backwards starting at number 10, and this is their list, which is it's a pretty good list, I think. So the creatures, number at number 10, the creatures from 2000's Pitch Black. At number 9, you have the Killer Clowns from 1988's Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Number 8, and I, this one has 
has definitely scarred me since seeing it. Um, number eight, it's those worm things from 1982 Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. When those things went into that yeah. e- that dude's ear and you knew it was going to eat the brain, that yeah, that thing yeah, freaked that me was out disturbing. as a kid, this thing. And yep. anytime I felt something in my ear, I thought, oh, I hope it's not those worm things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, number seven was Hedera from 1971's Godzilla versus Hedera. Number six, The Predator from 1987's Predator. It's good one yep. number five the thing from 1982's the thing number four freaky beasts with glowing teeth from 2011's attack the block number three is kind of two but the same but it's the blob from 1958's version of the blob and also 1988's the version of the blob they actually included them both Number two, the Xenomorph from 1979's Alien. I would like to throw in Aliens as well because the the, the mother Xenomorph is, is a beast. And then number one, and I wonder what you're going to think about this one, Tom, if you think it's the number one alien or space monster, the Bugs from Starship Troopers, the 1997 film. Oh, yeah. I mean... That's cool. interesting that they left that one to number one. But yeah, yeah there was a those bonus. Cool. The I, bonus. I definitely I, think those are cool. Yeah, I, I think the bonus would probably be my favorite, and it's the Martians from 1996's Mars Attacks. But they needed to put in the monster from the id from 1956's Forbidden Planet. That's a pretty memorable monster in my mind. Yeah. A couple cool things that I just wanted to include before we go. Um, there's a Tales from Space comic that was a prop in the Back to the Future Part 1 film. Um, you could actually check that thing out. There's, it's not a real comic, but they made it as a prop. But there's a couple links we'll put in the show notes that were cool. And that reminded me of the Weird Science comics, the old EC comics. So I also want to link a cool comics archive of a bunch of those. There's a forward by George Lucas. I, I haven't read it, but it looks really cool. It's on my list, so I'm probably going to get that. If you're in Transylvania and you're looking for space monsters, you're going to have to go to Rocket Road in UFO Springs and book a flight to space. Um, And the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you go to jackolanternpress.com and you get our dang book. You just got to get it. Exactly. Just get it. (laughs) Just go go there and get it. Yeah, just get it. If you don't own the book, you're missing out on a ton of of content tons i mean you're talking all over the place you're talking you know space monsters classic monsters different giant different beasts, types of every, everything you could possibly think of there's a district for something everything so just Martian get it shrimp shrimp <laughs> souffle yeah, exactly snake shrimp, wah, wah, wah. dinosaur shrimp <laughs> that was for greg from Nightmare 365. <laughs> By the way, uh, I don't know if you heard their latest episode on the Blue Hole, but they were I talking have. about Greg was going to jump in. like his, I guess there's pe- been people that disappeared there, and Greg yeah. said that he's going to jump in, and they're going to video it. And 
All I'm saying is they better do it. I want to see the video, and Greg's going to need to wear his Batman mask. So Yeah, definitely you guys are get the Batman mask on. I, I want to, to see that, too. Because, and uh, even if there's a whirlpool, he needs to jump in, and he should have the rope that's tied to a tree. They talk about it in that episode. Yep, and I it don't care if it's happen. cold. Do it on a cold day, yeah, too. Wear a wetsuit. And as a matter of fact, when you jump in, I want you, Greg, to scream really loud, wah, 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 when you yeah, jump in. Yeah, it's gotta in. happen. <laughs> it's gotta it's happen. gotta have it. I want to hear, <laughs> wah, 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 and then when you come up out of the water, just yell, super fans. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. All right, well... I think uh, we let this one go long enough, so I think that's going to do it for this Monster Monday. For more about the Monster Universe and the Monster Revolution that's upon us, or to become a Monster Revolutionary yourself, which you should do, go to jackolanternpress.com and make sure you check out our Facebook group, Monster Revolution, which we'll link in the show notes. If you enjoy our podcast, please give us a rating and review. It's a huge help for the show, and we would greatly appreciate it. We also have a new Jack-O-Lantern Press hotline, which you could call with suggestions, comments, questions, and we will be happy to answer it. We'll even play some of your responses on our podcast. That number is 323-761-0276. Again, 323 761 0276. We thank you for joining us this evening and we'll meet up again soon in the pumpkin patch.